We are continuing our uh, walk through Hebrews. Our theme has been looking to Jesus. And as runners, as those who are in a race, all of you are in a race, all of us are in a race, who know Jesus Christ, keeping our eyes on him who has run before us, running after him as our model, similar to what Paul would do for us if we could see him just run across the back of this room here. We're not going to ask you to do that, Paul. But it is such a joy to watch races with the 2020 Olympics coming up and then to watch on TV sometimes the marathon runners. And we celebrate Paul and his guys that we have the privilege of having them worship with us here. But we're looking to Jesus. He's our model. The same way that he strides, we also would stride. And looking for the finish line. He's already finished his race. But we are looking at that race. We're looking at it to determine how we should be running in our world today. And today is especially, I believe, a... uh, demonstration of Christmas in Hebrews. We're going through Hebrews 7, 1 to 10. Father, we ask for you to use this word now to speak to our hearts so that Jesus as our champion would look down and say, yes, yes, amen, and amen. Thank you for your life for us. In Jesus' name. This is talking about Melchizedek. And we've run into this name a couple of times before, and I've been holding back, holding back, holding back till we get to this message and didn't realize that it really is a Christmas story about this incredible king that we only know that much about. But we're going to open it up. Open up this box, this present, and see what we have in this unusually named person, Melchizedek. How many have a name like that? (laughs) I don't think so. This is a very unusual name, but we're going to learn about him. Hebrews 7, 1 to 10. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And to him, Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything. He is first, by translation of his name, King of Righteousness. And then he is also King of Salem, that is, King of Peace. He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life. But resembling the Son of God, he continues as a priest forever. See how great this man was to whom Abraham, the patriarch, gave a tenth of the spoils. And those descendants of Levi who received the priestly office have a commandment in the law to take tithes from the people, that is, from their brothers, though These also are descended from Abraham. But this man, who does not have his descent from them, received tithes from Abraham 
and blessed him, Abraham, who had the promises. It is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. In the one case, tithes are received by mortal men, but in the other case, by one of whom it is testified that he lives. One might even say that Levi himself, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, for he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. We'll introduce this section here just to a little bit of explanation, as the author has done in verses 1 and 2. And then in verses 2 to 3, he is first. Number two point, see how great he was. And number three, he lives. And finally, a conclusion. Who was this person? How much do we know about him? How does he relate to Christmas? And how can we relate to him? First of all, let me assure you of two things. We here are at a great disadvantage in understanding this man compared to the original readers of the book of Hebrews. Many of them were Hebrew believers and were thoroughly steeped in Jewish history. They knew this story. We really don't have that advantage. But on the other hand, we have potentially a much better understanding of the significance of Melchizedek than they as he relates to our present day life and we have the complete record of God's story of salvation in our book, the Bible. There's nothing been added. We have the text as we know it today, which they didn't have in the early church. They had the scrolls, but they didn't have all of the writings. And of course, Hebrews is, as we learned, is probably the last book of the Bible that was written. So let's follow our outline. Starting with an introduction, let's go to the story of what the author of Hebrews is giving us, but uh, it's back in Genesis 14, verses 18 to 20. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. Now he was a priest of God Most High. He blessed Abraham and said, Blessed be Abram of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be the God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. Abram gave him, Melchizedek, a tenth of all. The history of humanity is in Genesis. And right away, we enter into a story more deeply than the first chapters of Genesis, into the story of Abraham. He is the father of faith, as our book of Hebrews calls him. And so we want to find out what was going on here. So the history of humanity is in the book of Genesis. And you know, it is very interesting that there are so many scientists, some of them non-Christians, in fact, who are affirming that this record makes biological, physiological, historical truth of where we came from as men of many nations, men and women, children of many nations. The first book of the Bible is a very long and fascinating book, 50 chapters. Somebody we just mentioned this morning that they're reading in Genesis. Good place to start a new year. 
Perhaps some of you remember our series of messages, The Gospel According to Genesis. By the way, that was about three years ago. Today's message is focusing on a mysterious person in Genesis with a part of the story of Abram. That was his name that he was given, but then God gave him a new name, Abraham, which combined God's name and Abram's name together. Abraham, Abraham. Today's passage begins with the rescue of Lot, Abram's nephew who had been living in Sodom and Gomorrah. And I think some of you may remember those cities. Sodom and Gomorrah do not bring good context to us. Lot was captured by these four kings. And Abram took 318 of his trained men. How did they know 318 men? And it came all those thousands of years down to us. They were his trained men. In my little theory, I'll just give you this little hint. I think the reason why it was 318 and it was recorded that way, because they were trained men. Abram had poured his life into these men. Many of them were his children. They were in his household, is what I mean. Of his trained men, and they defeated the four kings. Abram was able to retrieve much wealth along with rescuing his nephew Lot. In his return from the victorious battle, Abram meets the king of Salem. And that we read about the king of Salem's blessing of Abraham. A very significant story. Very small, but very significant for us to understand and know. And I trust by the end of this message, you will know what it means. It said, he is first. You know, we're talking about Melchizedek. He is first in verses 2 and 3. He is first by translation of his name, king of righteousness. And then he is also king of Salem, that is, king of peace. He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life. He resembles the Son of God. He continues a priest forever. So this Abraham, we see king of righteousness, king of peace, without genealogy, neither beginning of days nor end of life, resembles the Son of God. He is a priest forever. I think if we dwell on these five aspects of the king of Salem, by the way, Salem means peace, Jerusalem means place of peace. But Jerusalem had not been established yet. So where did this king rule? Good question. This is a mystery. See how great he was in verses 4 to 6. See how great this man was to whom Abram, Abraham, the patriarch, gave a tenth of the spoils. And those descendants of Levi who received the priestly office have a commandment in the law to take tithes from the people, that is, from their brothers, though these also are descended from Abraham. Basically what is being said here, that Abraham gave of the wealth that he had gained from capturing, overcoming the four kings 
and rescuing his nephew, he came back with all this wealth. He and his 318 soldiers. And Abraham automatically, just impromptu, something moved him to give a tenth of all that he had gained back to this king of Salem. He must have been a great person and personality for Abraham to have responded that way to this king of Salem, king of righteousness, king of peace, without beginning or end, living forever as a priest, but not a Levitical priest, not according to the law. So there's something here that we need to catch on to and understand about who this Melchizedek is. But this man who does not have his descent from them received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. Melchizedek blessing Abram. We're trying to understand what the context here is. Abram gives tithes and the king of Salem blesses Abraham. And so we have this scene that we need to think about that and process it in our minds as to what is going on here. Who is this king? Where did he come from? What do we know that we can make some connection here and understanding? In point three, he lives. Let's read that. It is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. In the one case, tithes are received by mortal men, but in this other case, by one of whom it is testified that he lives. We have scripture that speaks of that in Romans 8:34. Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. That's Jesus' priestly occupation or action of what this Melchizedek is doing and that he lives without ending. He is the first Melchizedek. See how great he was? He lives. Here's my conclusion. And the authors, I believe, as well, the author of Hebrews. One might even say that Levi himself, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham. For he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. Levi was the line of the Levite priests. And from him, from Levi, that is what the Levitical priesthood in the Jewish tradition, that was the line, was through Levi. You had to come from Levi in order to be a priest of Israel. And so it says that Levi, or the author of Hebrews says, that Levi paid tithes to Melchizedek, in that Abraham, being the great-grandfather of Levi, had given a tithe to Melchizedek. That is kind of Jewish thinking, but I think that it's also very close to the way Japanese also think. We in uh, European stock don't really have that kind of organization 
in our religions or in our line of kings and that kind of thing. The announcement that the angel made might give us a clue. Today in the city of David is born to you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And that Savior meaning is actually a priest or a stand-in or someone who offers for on behalf of those who have sinned and want to have a relationship with a righteous God. We know that from what we've read so far in Hebrews and also from what we studied in past days. Micah 5, 2 and Matthew 2, 6 corroborate this. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah, for out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Jesus priesthood. But Jesus was not a Levite. He was of the tribe of Judah. So how did Jesus become a high priest? The example or the personification of that is in Melchizedek. This man, Melchizedek, he was the first. See how great he was. He lives. I believe these three qualities or statements about Melchizedek apply directly to what I think and others may take issue with that Melchizedek was a pre-incarnation visitation of Jesus to Abraham. This is what they call in theological terms a Christophany. Some people are thinking that, well, that's impossible that Jesus could be Melchizedek because they'd be talking about each other. Well, that's what a Christophany is about. And it was a pre-announcement, if you will, of centuries, centuries, centuries later when this baby is born in Bethlehem. And we're going to talk more about that birth next week and what that meant of where he was born. But I'd also like you to, there's uh, some materials on the counter, or maybe they're all gone by now, of a story of where was the exact place that Jesus Christ was born. It's a fascinating story taken right from Scripture. We think it was in an inn, in a stable in the back of the inn, with cows and sheep and camels and what have you, maybe even chickens. No. No. That's a wrong conception. He was not born in a stable, in an inn. It was a special place. Read that document. Read that passage. We've shared it out with you before. Very interesting. If you haven't got a copy, ask us for one and we'll get one for you. Here's a wonderful passage that we'll get to next week. Therefore, he is able also to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. This is Jesus' high priestly office.
as our high priest, as the one who takes our name before the Father and says, this is mine. Recognize him or her. That's who our priest is in this baby that came to Bethlehem, the city of David, born, sometimes we say, in a lowly stable, but he actually was born in a very precious place of significance for us as our Savior. Because all through biblical history, the only way that you could come before Jehovah Elohim was to bring an offering and a sacrifice. A lamb. And you've heard me talk about many times the wonderful Chinese, Japanese kanji for righteousness. What is the kanmuri of righteousness? A lamb. A lamb. And what's below? Myself. The lamb over me declares something. I'm not righteous in myself. We are sinners. But with his covering, our king, our priest, the king of righteousness has made us righteous as he also is righteous. Well, we say Merry Christmas but we really mean to say to each other, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, happy birthday. Because that's what he brought to us, is eternal life. Our Lamb, the sacrificed Lamb, the King of righteousness, the King of peace. And there is peace between us and the Father. And the law is completed. And that's what we celebrate at this time of the season. May the Lord bless you with this thought as we enter this next week in what the world is remembering as a happy holiday. But the Lord is good to us in allowing us to be able to really grasp some of these deep things. Otherwise, we would celebrate but not really knowing the real truth and foundation what we have.